our guest speaker tonight. We've, most of you are familiar with Stan Butt Jr. He is the preacher at the Peace Tree City Church of Christ, where he's been since 2017. Prior to that, he served at the Chapel Hill Church of Christ in Middle Tennessee for 17 years. He and his wife, Georgia, they've been married uh, for 20-something years. They have a couple of daughters, uh, one of whom uh, was, was one of our summer interns. So a lot of great connections with the Butt family. And we are in grateful that he's here with us tonight, especially because he had a horrible, horrible time getting here. And uh, we're, we're grateful that he arrived safely and, and is able to be here on time with us tonight. Uh, he will continue our 2021 summer series by addressing the fruit of gentleness. Before we turn it over to him, though, let us go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can be here tonight. Grateful that we can have this time to study your word. Grateful that we can uh, praise you in song. Grateful that we can fellowship with one another. And, and, and grateful that we can benefit from each other's encouragement and from this study. It is our prayer tonight that you bless Brother Stan as he uh, presents a message from your word. Lord, we uh, thank you for his safe arrival here. And uh, we're, uh, we ask for your blessings on him after the the hecticness of his trip up, and we, we ask for your blessings on him as he uh, gets his mind framed around uh, the message for this evening, and, and may you bless him with the in the preparation that he has done to present that message to us. Lord, we are also mindful of us ourselves as listeners tonight. Help us, Lord, to uh, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to your word to let it absorb within us and to uh, affect us. May, it, may what we study tonight be applied and change us for the better. Uh, Lord, we, we especially tonight are mindful of the Hill family and the loss of Anthony. We ask for your blessings on them during this difficult time. And, and Lord, we know this, this difficult time isn't going away any, anytime soon. We just pray that your hand of comfort be with them and as their brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, help us to hold them up, support them, encourage them, and be there for them in whatever way they need. Help us to not lose sight of them at this time. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die for us and for the hope of eternity that he brought through his sacrifice. May we never take it for granted. We love you, Lord, and this is our prayer through the name of your son. Amen. I was hoping for a minute Kyle was going to tell me how many years that I had been married so I would know that. <laughs> because if you'd asked me, I'd have said exactly what he said. 20-something. I know we had 25, but I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. So I was hoping he was going to set me straight on that. Uh, I will tell you what happened to me on the way up here just because uh, now that everybody's mentioned it, but get you little answers on that. Uh, I, I had planned to get here about 4.30 this afternoon. Um, I've got to go to Rome tomorrow and then Columbia, Tennessee after that, so I've got to do a lot of traveling over the course of the next few days. Uh, so I went and I rented a car and I was going to get up here at 4.30 and get settled in and, and study, make sure I was ready for tonight. And, uh, and then 2.85 happened. Uh, I was on at about uh, 3.15 and uh, I was sitting just as minding my own business as nicely and kindly as I possibly could on 285, which is a real 
real struggle, as most of you know. And um, I look in my rearview mirror, and I hear a collision. And I know it wasn't me, because I'm just sitting there, like I said. And the car behind me then, which had been stopped previously, is now no longer stopped. Uh, and it gets knocked uh, into the back of my car. Now, had it been my 2005 Suburban, I'd have looked at it and I'd have said, hey, we're good, no problem. And I just got in and left. Um, but it was, uh, it's a 2021 rental car, then I know the rental car company is going to make a big deal out of it. So uh, um, I had to stick around for the uh, police officer to get there and do the report and all that sort of thing. And uh, that took forever because they, they first ask you, um, you know, is anybody hurt? We said, no, nobody's hurt. Um, are you, have you got them out of the road over to the safe spot? And we said, yes, they're out of the road. And I knew that when the girl who was involved in this was telling them that nobody was hurt and uh, we were on a safe spot, not impeding traffic, it was going to be a while before we saw uh, anybody. Uh, I'm sure they have other priorities. Uh, and so the officer finally did get there and finally got underway, and I arrived here at 7.01. Okay, so... Uh, the Lord was at least making sure I was parked by 7 o'clock, so the Lord wanted me to be prompt, and, and I was prompt um, with, with no extra, extra cushion, however. That is, that is all right, though, uh, because this is a wonderful topic tonight, uh, and I might append to that story the idea that, uh, that even though I was in a car accident, even though I was struck uh, in the rear, I was struck very, very gently. And that reminded me of our topic tonight, which is, which is gentleness, gentleness. Now, what's interesting about that, and I, I did meet some delightful people. The, the officer was delightful. He was super nice. Uh, the poor lady who instigated the whole thing is a, was in the Navy. Her name was Vanessa, and uh, she was on her way to Virginia, and she's got 600 more miles to drive, and we're just hoping that her car is going to get there after the, after the wreck. So I've got to call her when we get done and check on her, make sure she's still going on the road. The guy who was sandwiched between Vanessa and I, Kenny, was just a great fella. He drives a 1996 Chevy Trailblazer that had already been hit 10 times. <laughs> I said, Kenny, you can take the week off, buddy. <laughs> And he said, uh, I think I will. I said, because you're going to get a good check. <laughs> he, said, he said, I gave $400 for this car. <laughs> I've been driving it for 10 years. I already got paid on it three times. Um, so it was just a, it was a fun time. Uh, Kenny and I reminisced about some movies. We, we made some jokes. Um, I asked him how he was feeling. He said uh, he thought his back was a little hurt. Of course, he was a construction worker, and every construction worker I know's back is a little hurt. Uh, so, so I said, is, was it your neck or your back or your neck? Anyway, so uh, me and Kenny had a, had a big time, and uh, nobody was hurt, so that was good. It, the, the worst thing that came out of it is that uh, I was, was a little late, but that's, that's right. Okay. Uh, and they were like, you know, when I thought about that, it's like people can get all bent out of shape about something, or they can just kind of roll with it, and they can be nice to everybody that's involved. I gave Vanessa a hug when we left, shook Kenny's hand, said, God bless you. Um, he asked what I did. I told him I was a preacher, and, and uh, we, we, had a, we had a good time. I, oh, here's, here's another funny thing, though. Um, I brought this pair of pants and another shirt for tonight and all day tomorrow. I said I was going minimalist, and uh, I stood 
by the side of 285 and sweated like a horse. And I had not factored that into the packing arrangement, so I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll figure, figure that out. But uh, I tell you that, and, and I do tell you that to give you a little information, but I, I also tell you that to tell you that uh, there are things that we can do and ways that we can be that will help us be a delight to people and will help go a long way toward making people be delightful to us. And the fruit that we are talking about over the course of this summer, all of these things, are things that will aid in that. They will help us know how to treat other people. And if we put them into practice, very often they will uh, cause the way that we treat other people with these things to be reflected back uh, on us. You know, it would only take taking the officer or one of the three of us to act like complete jerks and the whole, whole thing would have been terrible. As it was, it, you know, it wasn't so bad. Um, and as we look at Galatians chapter 5 and we look at the, the word that I have tonight, and it's, it is my favorite one. I think I, I uh, jumped on it. Kyle was like, which one do you want? I was like, I, I know exactly which one I want. I wanted this one. I want, I want this word. I want this word gentleness. Sometimes the word is not translated gentleness. Does anybody know what it may be translated as? Anybody? Meekness. Yes, it may be translated as, as meekness. Um, I prefer the word gentleness uh, very much, very much. Um, for this reason, I, I think that uh, meekness has a, um, sometimes a negative connotation. Uh, it, it has more of a passivity to it than gentleness does. That gentleness is a, a proactive thing. It is, it is um, and, and maybe you know, one of the reasons why meekness has that uh, kind of negative connotation is that what does it sound, what does meekness sound like? Sounds like weakness, right? Sounds like weakness. Well, meekness is not weakness. As a matter of fact, it's the very opposite of that. It's a beautiful, beautiful Greek word. The Greek word is praotes, P-R-A-O-T-E-S. And that word, and, and lots, of, lots of Greek words, have word pictures associated with them. And by that I mean that if you were going to define the Greek word, you would say, it is like a bridled horse. It is like a bridled horse. Uh, that's what praotes means. It means something that is very, very powerful, but it is bridled, it is, it is controlled, it is, it, is, it is docile. But the thing about a, a, a bridled horse is a bridled horse is a useful horse. Uh, it can be used for something. It can be ridden, you can plow with it, you can you know, pull a buggy with it or a wagon or, or anything. If it's got a harness on, if it has a bridle on, but unless you have a bridle on the horse, that horse is not good for anything uh, but to... Uh, pull grass up by the roots and, um, and eat you out of house and home, which they will do. People that, people that don't ride horses but have them call, them, call them lawn ornaments. You know, and they, they are kind of that. They do attract flies too. So uh, if you're not going to use them for what they're supposed to be for, then they're not much good. I went through a phase uh, at Chapel Hill where I, was, where I was breaking horses for people. And I'd get paid, you know, a little bit here and there to, to, to take a colt that nobody had ever been, nobody had ever ridden it. And uh, some people call it training. We always called it breaking growing up. You, you broke a horse, right? 
Um, and I, did, I don't know, I did all my own horses, which was a lot. Uh, probably, I probably broke 20 of my own horses. And, and then I realized that I was pretty decent at it. So um, I had a few folks that asked me if I would do some for them, and, and I did a few. And my dad had a, a friend who had two, two quarter horses. Now, I hadn't much fooled with quarter horses since I was a boy. I was into the, into walking horses at the time, and that's a whole completely different animal and a whole completely different horse. But uh, I would start these, these walking horse colts uh, around the age of 18 or 19 months. Now, I wouldn't work them real hard, but uh, I would work them before they got big and strong and, you know, tons of muscle on them. So, so um, you know, they weren't, they weren't powder kegs, so to speak. You, you just worked into them easy and you got on them. You, you didn't get on them until you figured out they weren't going to buck and, and, uh, and it wasn't as all dramatic as, as uh, you know, the movies make it out to be. However, this, these uh, folks that Dad came up with had two uh, five-year-old quarter horses. And I mean, they were fat and they were uh, strong. And one of them, the male, uh, I broke in no time. He was, he was a gentle horse, good riding horse. And the mare, which is a strike against her to start with, she's a quarter horse, is another strike against her to start with. She had one blue eye and one white eye, and I should have known right there that you, know, that you don't get on a horse like that. So she had three strikes against her before I got even on her. Um, and the first time I put that saddle on her, uh, she bucked in the round pen with the saddle on her for two and a half hours. I mean, I just, I just went to the house and got some tea. I'd look out the window every now and then, she'd still be going. I mean, bucking, 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 bucking. Well, I let her do that a few days, and she kept bucking. Finally, she quit. And uh, so I decided I was going to get on her. And uh, I got on her. And as you might guess, she commenced uh, the bucking again. I mean, bucking, bucking, bucking. Just, oh, unbelievable. She bucked so long and so hard, and, and I'm not just a real cowboy, but I, I, was, I was hanging on, and uh, she was, kept bucking, and all of a sudden, she got sweaty, and the saddle started getting loose, and it was kind of going sideways, and I could stay on a saddle if that saddle was fixed, but I wasn't sure I could stay on that saddle if that saddle was loose, and so I decided that I needed to plot an exit strategy uh, off of that horse. Um, and also try to not get killed in the process of exiting the horse. Uh, so I decided that when we went around bucking another time or two, I was going to throw my arm around the uh, round pin that, that we were in. And uh, as soon as it looked advisable to do that, I was going to do it. And that time came pretty quickly. So I threw my arm around the round pin and, uh, and got off the horse successfully, or I should say fairly successfully. Because when I threw my arm around the round pin, which is made of a tubular uh, steel, the post, the top post of the round pin broke, and it gashed my arm like you wouldn't believe. I had 51 stitches right here, and I had several other spots all the way up to about right here where they had to stitch four or five different places. And it was the biggest mess you've ever seen. Um, and Considering I was charging her $250 to break the horse, and the trip to the emergency room cost me about $1,400, I decided that I was getting out of the horse breaking business uh, altogether. 
But when they came to pick up that horse, I told them that it was my opinion that that horse wasn't worth anything because she couldn't be ridden with it by anybody with sense. And that word, that idea, is what's involved in this idea of preotes, of gentleness. That, that something has to be, it has to be bridled for it to be any good. It has to, it has to be able to have some hands on the reins. And the wonderful thing about the word preotes, the word that's often translated meekness, or uh, very more often in the more recent translations, and it's translated gentleness, um, is that the idea is that we are that strong thing, but we are also the hands on the reins of the strong thing. Uh, John Chrysostom, who was one of the uh, early church fathers, said, said this. He said that preotes is the characteristic that most sets us apart, that most sets apart man from animals. Isn't that a neat idea? That, that we can bridle ourselves uh, and be gentle, be meek. Of course, uh, meekness, uh, again, is not a characteristic of, of weakness. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, around verse 3, um, where Miriam and Aaron are kind of contending with Moses, uh, why he gets to be in charge, why does everybody have to do what he says. Uh, we're told in that passage that, that Moses was one of, was, was on the face of the earth, there was not a man who was meeker uh, or more gentle than, than Moses. And that's an interesting passage, I think, that when we're told that there was not a man uh, more gentle or meek than Moses. And it's encouraging to me for one reason. If you'll remember Moses' story, Moses had not always been of the gentlest sort of man. Isn't that right? As a matter of fact, if you look at three distinct episodes in, in Moses' life, you see a man who very often appears to have trouble controlling his temper, right? that uh, when he sees the uh, Egyptian slave master beating the Hebrew slave, he kills him, kills him. And you might say, well, um, Stan, you know, that was okay. It was right for him to do that. That was justice. Well, maybe it was. Uh, but I dare say we might also add that it's pretty, pretty clear that Moses flew off the handle. Uh, and yes, the Lord was working that out, but... Okay, Moses flies off the hand who kills the guy. Um, then you have the situation where um, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the, the um, Ten Commandments and the law, tablets of stone. And, of course, the people down at the bottom of the hill are um, sinning and carrying on and God says, go down there. And so he goes down there and he sees the people, sees what they're doing, sees how awful it is, and he throws the, um, tink, the law down and written on the tablets of stone. And, of course, they break. And you might say, well, you know, that's okay because he was mad. And the people, he, you know, he, he should have been mad about that. Well, he was. It's like he was mad about the, he was mad about the uh, Egyptian taskmaster. Then, then, then watch how this story goes because I think you can see where this is trending, right? The next time that we read about Moses, his temper, we find the people have come to uh, the rock and God has told Moses to speak to the rock and water will come out of it. 
And Moses is so furious at the people that he strikes the rock in disobedience to God and said, must we bring water out of this rock for you rebellious people? And of course the water comes. And then God said, because you did not hallow me in the eyes of the people, because you struck the rock instead of speaking to it, you're not going to go into the promised land. So what we see here is you can, you can say, okay, first time, maybe that was okay. Second time, maybe that was okay. Third time, it's not okay. But, but what you see that all of those things represent is a, a trend of lack of self-control, of, of letting anger get the best of you. We know we're not supposed to do that, right? And, and, and James speaks to that so eloquently, doesn't he? If you, don't, if you don't know the verse, you ought to... Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. That's an interesting word. That word slow to wrath is the word macrothumia. And it's, it's a, if you think about the word, it's, it's really kind of interesting. It is, uh, it is a word that means, or from a word that means, something like long burning. Long burning. Um, Macro and, and thumi is, is heat, and, and that's kind of what it means. It means long burning. Now, think about this. If, if we, have, we know somebody who has a quick temper, we say they've got a what? Short fuse. They've got a short fuse. Well, James's word is exactly the opposite of that. Somebody who has a long fuse, right? Somebody who is slow to wrath, swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. And that's very much the process that brings about this characteristic of, of gentleness. Uh, so what I, what I want to say about Moses is in the final uh, respect, by the time that we get to Numbers chapter 12, we're then told that Moses was meek. And if you look at that story, one of the things that I think we need to learn from that is that growth toward gentleness is always a process, right? It is not, bam, you come up out of that water and you are, you know, you're the meekest person on the earth. No, 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 that's not how it works. It's, it's a stumbling, building, growing, sometimes painful process. You know, it's like, I, I prayed for patience today. You ever pray for patience? You gotta be careful, careful, careful praying for patience, right? Because then, I'm very careful praying for patience, very careful. Because the way the Lord usually works is, <laughs> there's only one, he can't just hand it to you, right? He can't, because that's, that's how we pray for patience. We pray for patience this way. Lord, please give me patience right now. <laughs> that's, that's not how patience works. Patience, patience is a crock pot. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's that roast on, my wife will make a roast often on Sundays. And we used to just do carrots and potatoes and onions, and now we do that Mississippi roast. I don't know if you've ever had that one with the, with the peppers in it and the uh, ranch. Oh, man, it's good. Um, but she starts it the uh, night before, and you talk about distracting. I mean, about 2 o'clock in the morning. Man, it's hard to sleep, hard to sleep in the house when one of those things is going on. But, you know, it takes, it takes all night. It, it takes till you get home from church, and then it's ready. It's not, it can't be ready like that. And it is so good, so good. And it can't just be ready like that. The, the best things 
the good things. These good fruit are not things that are just handed to us. They're not just given to us. We've got to earn them. We've got to learn them. Maybe not earn them. Maybe, maybe learn them is, is the best way to describe it. And so I think we see that with Moses. We just see somebody who, who might not have been naturally, characteristically that way, and yet, and yet became that way. And, and, I, and I think that's important to learn because I think sometimes people say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Everybody's going to have to get used to it. Here, here's the thing about being a Christian. That is never okay. It's never okay to say, that's just the way I am, especially if that's not the way you should be. The entire process of being a Christian is becoming more and more and more like Jesus every single day. That's what being a Christian is. Becoming less like yourself and more like Him. Now that is about the most unpopular sentiment that you can utter in the world today, that you should become less like yourself. And yet that's exactly what we are called to do. We are called to become Christ-like. We are called to daily walk with Him and grow toward Him. And one of my favorite uh, times when that particular idea uh, was... was uh, uh, kind of articulated, was when some of the Jewish leaders came to John the Baptist and they tried to stir up John the Baptist and get some trouble started. And they told John the Baptist, doesn't it bother you that uh, this guy is getting more, more people coming to hear him preach than you are? Doesn't it bother you that his, his disciples are baptizing more people than your disciples are? Doesn't it bother you that even some of your disciples are starting to follow him? And he said, you know what? That's what I'm here for. And then he, said, he, he uses this line. I love it. He must increase and I must decrease. Isn't that a great line? I've often thought that if I had one word to write on a note card, one, one verse, and put on my bathroom mirror to read every morning when I was brushing my teeth, it would be that. He must increase and I must decrease. Because as true as it was for John to say it, that is exactly what each and every one of us needs to realize, that the, that the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we walk with Jesus, the more His character is abundantly clear uh, in, our, in our lives. And so our words change, our, our attitudes change, we do become more patient, we do become more, more gentle. And so uh, there are uh, a, num a number of times throughout the uh, New Testament where we see this word gentleness used. Paul uses the word very, very often. Uh, he tells Christians to let their gentleness be made known to all men. Let your gentleness be made known. Let your gentleness be made known. Maybe we ought to put that one on our, on our bathroom mirrors too, right? Let your gentleness be made known at your child's baseball game. Let your gentleness be made known when you get a rude person behind a counter somewhere. Let your gentleness be made known when your meal 
takes a ridiculous amount of time to get to your table. Let your gentleness be made known when somebody makes a mistake and they shouldn't have. Let your gentleness be made known. Let your gentleness be made known. I once watched a uh, practical joke show where the people who were being joked were uh, famous people. And one of the people that they tried to pull a joke on was Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. There have been some really incredible movies about Mr. Rogers lately. Uh, and every one of them tells the same thing, that that's who he was all the time, that it was not who he was behind the camera, it was not who he, that it was, who he was all the time. How would you describe that? I thought Mr. Rogers was the most boring show growing up. You know why? Because he was just so gentle. He came in, tossed one shoe to the other hand, you remember, put, put it on, changed change shoes every time. What kind of person changes their shoes? They could take them off, I would understand, but like to put on a new pair when you come in, he'd take off the one, he'd take off the one sweater and put on the new sweater. He'd sing, you know. Um, but now here's the, the, okay, let me get back to it. The, uh, the Practical Joker, Practical Joker show. He went to a convention, and the convention was uh, about television programs. And this huge convention is going on, and, and all of the people who were staying at the hotel were to have a television in their room, and the whole purpose of the thing was that they would come and they would stay in this hotel, and they would watch the shows that they were going to review. That was the whole purpose of the convention. That's what everybody did. They came to the convention. I mean, they probably had some dinners or something too, but all day long what they would do is they were supposed to watch television shows so they could, you know, talk about them or review them or whatever. They put Mr. Rogers in a room, and they say, Mr. Rogers, um, we're sorry, but you don't have a TV in your room. And he says, that's okay. No problem whatsoever. I said, Mr. Rogers, you realize that the only reason that you are here is to watch TV. He's like, it's okay. And it was so funny because no matter how much they tried to ruffle him, they couldn't do it. And they tried and tried and tried and tried. And I'm telling you, that letting, that, that it, was, it was a sermon in action, let your gentleness be made known. Is there a time, is there a place, is there a tendency, is there a habit where your gentleness is not made known? Where you let yourself off the hook? I tell you what, I, I, I wrote this the other day, or I read this the other day, and then I wrote it. Um, that sometimes when we leave the house, we're gentle and kind to everybody. And then when we get back home, we're hard on everybody. And we come home and we say, well, I had a hard day, and so-and-so got up in my face, and I just couldn't talk to them like I wanted to. And you know, that's what we tell ourselves, right? 
that because I was nice out there, then when I get in here, I can kind of let down a little bit. Let me tell you what. If your gentleness is out there and not at home, that's called hypocrisy. That's called window dressing. Let your gentleness be made known to all, to your customers, to your boss. See, everybody's going to be gentle you know, to those people. It's in their best interest to. Let your gentleness be made known to all, to your employees, to your kids, to your spouse, to your parents. Let your gentleness be made known. And, and maybe that's one of these, those things that we need to call each other on. Maybe, maybe, you know, we need to be able to say to each other, is, are you making your gentleness known? My two daughters uh, used to um, fuss as little children will do, you know, if you throw two of them in a room, it doesn't matter that there's plenty of toys for everybody. They, they're going to be fussing and carrying on. I would hear them down at the, um, out at the bottom of the stairs and they'd be fussing and carrying on. And I'm not much one for hollering. Um, Georgia would holler and they wouldn't do anything and she'd say, would you go up there and, you know, take care of that? And I'd get to the bottom of the stairs and I'd say, girls, fill in the blanks. Let all things be done without. And they would say, murmuring and disputing. I was like, okay, well, let's do that then. And then that would break them up for, for a little bit. But, you know, I say that to say, we need to learn these verses. And we need to, we need to ask each other, are you letting your gentleness be made known? Is this, or is this how you let your gentleness be made known? I'm glad my wife is not here for this, to be honest. Because I, because she would do it constantly to me while I'm, while I'm driving, right? Remember Jehu? What's, what did it say about Jehu? Uh, uh, the guy looked out and he saw him coming uh, in the chariot and he says, I know that's Jehu because he driveth furiously. You remember that? That's me. I drive furiously. And if she were here tonight and she heard me saying, uh, is this how you, make, you let your gentleness be known? And so I'm trying to imagine that so that I'll be able to hear it in my head when I know that I need to do better. Is this how you let your gentleness be made known? And of course, we talked about Moses being meek, but let's talk about the real example. We talked about becoming like Christ. You remember Jesus' um, invitation? And I, I like that idea because, you know, we talk about an invitation. Jesus offered an invitation. Do you remember that invitation? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, what's interesting about that is Jesus brings into this idea of, of meekness, this idea of gentleness, the metaphor of yoke itself. See, what's a yoke for? Well, it's, it's for turning strength into purpose. That's what, that's what a yoke is for. You put it on an oxen and it works. It gives purpose to strength. It gives focus to strength. It's not that there is no strength. It's that, it's that the strength is, is harnessed and directed and guided. So take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am... Now your new translations are going to say, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to yourselves. For I am meek and lowly in heart. 
and you will find rest to your souls. So, so see how that, see how the imagery of the word praotes is even brought into Jesus' invitation? Put the yoke on. The yoke is, is what manages strength, it directs strength, it gives it, it gives it purpose. So Jesus says, I am gentle. When I was a little boy, um, I became a Christian very early. My dad was a preacher, and he was prone to bouts of bronchitis from time to time. And from the time I was about nine years old on, dad said, I want you to have a sermon ready at all times uh, so that uh, if I can't go on a Sunday morning, you get to preach on, you'll, you'll preach on Sunday morning. It, it, was not, it was not an offer. It was not, do you want to preach? It was like when somebody had hay on the ground, Harry, and dad would say, go pick up their hay. If he didn't say, well, I don't want to go pick up their hay, that wasn't an option. Go pick, it's, it looks like it's going to rain. Go help someone so get their hay up. I got to help Harry's dad get his hay up several times. Uh, when dad said something like that, I just, you just did it, right? So I get to work on my sermon. Now, he did, he did allow me to go through some of his sermons. And the sermon that I picked when I was a little boy to preach was a sermon that was called The Hands of Jesus. And I love that sermon so much from the time that I was about nine till the time that I was probably, I don't know, 15 or 16. I bet I preached that sermon 10 times ten or more. I don't know. I love the thing. And the sermon asks you to imagine the hands of Jesus. And it went through all of these stories of Jesus' hands. And I want, you to, I want you to think of them. I want you to think of some of these stories with me in the time that we've got, the time that we've got left. What time do I need to quit? Somebody? I, that wasn't really a joke, but I mean, it could be because I can go, for, I, can, I can tell these stories all night. Uh, what time? Eight, what, and then you, like, invitation, when does it need to be? Okay, eight minutes before eight o'clock. Okay, that'll work. That, I can do that. All right. What? Well, you don't want that. I assure you. Listen, I, listen, I go to India... I go, oh, they are used to that. I go to India and I back clean up in India. Here's, here's how this works. They'll have, they'll have five American preachers and somehow the American preachers don't realize how time's going to go when you're translating with somebody. And so they will have about 10 minutes worth of lesson thinking that when it's translated, you know, it's going to be a whole lot longer. And so, uh, do y'all know Ricky Goodham? Do y'all know Ricky? Anyway, we had, a, we had a lectureship several years ago, and it was very specifically designed that we had to go till this point because they were feeding everybody that was there, and the food had to be ready and all this kind of stuff. So it, it had to go. You know, there had to be a four-hour block of preaching. And so um, four or five guys would go, and Ricky would say, have you got an hour and 45 minutes in you? I said, just tell me when to stop. <laughs> And so I, so I would back clean up. So he always, liked, he always liked me to come because I would get up there and, and he would say, two hours. Just tell me when to stop. Uh, so I can tell these stories all night. Let's, let's talk about this. This is one of my favorite ones. The story is when Mark tells it best. And that's odd because Mark doesn't tell many stories better than the other gospel writers, but he tells this one the best. A leper runs down falls down in front of Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, 
you can make me clean. And here's what Mark says. And Mark is, Mark uses words very sparingly. You've got the shortest gospel. It's quick, it's terse, it's military almost in cadence. But every now and then, Mark will put a phrase in there and the addition of that phrase makes all the difference in the story. The leper says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And here's what Mark says, and Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing to be clean. I want you to think about this for just a second. Here's a man who's been absolutely starved for human contact. He has to go around everywhere he goes shouting, unclean, unclean, so people can get out of his way. I wish that worked on 285. I would do that. <laughs> unclean, so people would get out of his way. And they run from him. And if they want to, they pick up rocks and throw at him to run him off like a dog. He hasn't seen his family. Maybe he's seen them, I don't know, but he hasn't been able to touch them. He hasn't been able to embrace them because he has this disease, this leprosy. People were terrified of it. It was called the walking death. I've got pictures on my phone right now, a hundred of them of a leper colony in India. It's a terrifying, awful, heartbreaking disease. And this man comes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus can heal you from Macon, Georgia, if he wants to, right? You could be here. He could be here. You could be there. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus says you're healed, you're healed. Go on home. They'll be healed when you get there. They'll be fine when you get there. They're already healed. I love it when he tells, I love it when they try to catch him working on the Sabbath, right? So, the, so he's, he's sitting there in the synagogue, and there's a guy with a withered hand. Jesus asks him a question and um, asks him about healing on the Sabbath. And he's mad at their answer because it's completely lacking in compassion. And so he says, stretch out your hand. He, do, he doesn't even, he doesn't even, take an action whatsoever. He just pronounces it. Why does Jesus reach out and touch a leper? A leper. Because he is meek and lowly in heart. Oh, actually, the, the verse uses another, uses another word. Oh, this may be my favorite Greek word of all time. It's the Greek word splanknizomai. Anybody want to spell that one? I might could. I don't know if I could. I probably could. Splanknizomai. Here, here's what it means. The Greeks believed that your, your internal organs were different categories of internal organs. Um, your viscera is, is pretty much from, from here down. Everything down there was called your viscera. Uh, we still use the word. You know, we say if somebody has a, has a feeling, uh, it's a very visceral, visceral reaction. If, you know, if something gets eviscerated, you know, we use that word. They believe that your middle organs, 
They call those your splankna. Your splankna. S-P-L-A-N-C-H-A. Splankna. No, N-A. Uh, and they believe that the seat of your emotions was in here. This is where your emotions lived. We might say something like, you know, I've got a gut feeling. I've got a gut feeling about that. So we, we use the same language. If you, if you do have an old King James Bible, then you're going to see the word bowels a couple times. You're going to see over in Philippians chapter 2, if you have any bowels of compassion, you're going to see it in 1 John. Uh, if any of you sees your brother or sister um, uh, hungry and shuts up his bowels, yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right, to us, unless you know that the, that the Greek word is splankna, and it has to do with the seat of the emotions, which is in these middle organs right here, your, your kidneys, your lungs, your, you know, that, that's where they believed your, your emotions were, here. So the word came to mean the feeling as well as the actual guts. Splanknitsomai is translated in your English Bibles as, in your newer versions, as moved with compassion. Sometimes, translated, trans, sometimes it'll just be translated passion. But like I said, your old King James versions uh, will translate it as bowels. Bowels. So, so when it says Jesus moved with compassion, it means his, his guts yearned for this man. He, he felt for this man. And Jesus felt for this man. So what did he do? Heal him? Yes, but more than heal him. He reached out his hand and touched him. Now, if you see this, and, and I'll go through some of these very, very quickly. If you think about it, there were many, many times when Jesus could have healed somebody a certain way, but it always amazed me how he connected touch to so many of his miracles. So a man who is dumb, Jesus touches his tongue. Let me tell you what. Jesus would have had a hard time in this day of... Um, hand sanitizers and all of those things. Some of you may cringe when you read some of the Gospels where Jesus touches somebody's tongue or he puts his finger in the deaf man's ears or he spits and makes a paste of the dirt and rubs it on a man's eyes. But what you see in all of these, what you see in all of these is touch. What you see in all of these is gentleness. Folks, the, the power of the creator of the universe, literally, the power of the creator of the universe is now in fleshly hands. And it's putting its finger on a tongue and in ears and on eyes and touching a leper. And then think about this, and then think about this. Think about the fact that this creator, this God, sits down 
and holds all the babies. They come to Jesus and he welcomes them. Tossles their hair maybe. Puts his hand on their face, on their shoulders. Blesses them. Oh, and Jesus' apostles, they're outraged by this. Don't you know he's too important for that? Don't you know we got important stuff to do? Don't you know this is the Messiah? Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. When you go through Jesus' life, you see that he is meek, gentle, lowly in heart. He puts love into his actions. He puts love into his touch. He communicates love with his touch. He communicates gentleness with his touch. He lets his gentleness be made known to all. How are you letting your gentleness be known? Part of that sermon, I remember as a little boy, was thinking about Jesus' hands and what they must have felt like. Because they were, had been used to doing a couple of things. I expect that when he was in those fishing boats, he didn't sit around and watch the other guys fish and do nothing. I don't think that was Jesus. We know that he was a carpenter. So I often thought about what kind of calluses Jesus' hands would have on them. And then that a neat idea, the neat idea that really it doesn't matter what kind of calluses are on your hands, they can still be gentle hands. Remember the old, was it Holly Dunn? Remember the old Holly Dunn song about her dad's hands? Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in daddy's hands. Great song. But that idea about Jesus' calloused hands and thinking about the tools that he would have used and thinking about those, those wet, heavy nets and thinking about all of those things and, and yet those hands were still the hands that did all of those wonderful, wonderful things. Those hands were the hands that picked up Malchus's ear off the ground and attached it back to his head. after it had been struck off with a sword. Those hands, the hands of God, the hands of the Son of God, the hands of the Creator of the universe were the hands that took off His outer garment and put on Himself a towel and took a bowl and got down and washed the feet of His disciples. Washed their knowing that he had come from the Father and was going to the Father, he took off his robe and put a towel upon himself and began washing the disciples' feet. And that's another thing that we need to know about this because this is not some sort of false modesty. This, this has got to be absolutely genuine. And that's what I love about that passage because it says he knew that he had come from the Father and was going to the Father. He knew who he is. 
He, he knows exactly who he is. He, he's not trying, you know, this is, this is not somebody who, who has a self-esteem complex and, you know, they just, you know, like to do grungy stuff, you know, so people will feel good about them. No. This is, this is the creator of the universe. And he's showing us that we need to put our hands in the warm water and wash the feet and welcome the children and touch the ears and embrace the lepers because take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek, gentle, lowly in heart and you shall find rest to your souls, folks. If we want to find rest, we yoke ourselves with the character of Christ. We put our hands to the work of gentleness. We ask ourselves, is this how I let my gentleness be known? Examine ourselves. And then, of course, the sermon concluded this way. With Jesus' hand laying on a piece of wood. Either strapped or held down by a Roman soldier who then took a stake drove it through that hand that had loved and healed and embraced and washed feet and then the blood spurted up out of that hand and then the greatest act of preotes possible. The Son of God gave His blood so that we could live. Let your gentleness be made known to all. If you need to become a Christian tonight, you need to know what Jesus is, you need to know what Jesus did, you need to know why He did it. And if knowing those things, you want to become His, and tonight you have that opportunity. Or maybe you're already here and, and this church could help you with a spiritual need that you have. Uh, whatever, your, whatever your need is tonight, it's our hope and prayer that you would come while we stand and while we sing together. <coughs> Trusting faith.